Hi, everyone. Welcome to the very first episode of Radiant Others, a klezmer music podcast. My name is Dan Blacksburg, and usually I'm playing trombone when a microphone is in front of me instead of talking. Maybe some of you know me as a klezmer trombonist. Maybe some of you know me through the avant-garde jazz or other kinds of out music I play. Or maybe you just stumbled across this from somewhere on the internet. No matter how you got here, welcome and thank you for joining me on this new journey. Each episode of Radiant Others will feature a conversation between me and a musician or other kind of artist whose work has made them an important part of the klezmer world. Since this is the very first episode, I'd like to talk a little bit about why I'm making a podcast focusing on klezmer and Yiddish music. I've got lots of reasons I'm doing this, some of which feel pretty hard to articulate. Some ideas I think I can explain clearly are the fact that I feel like many of the people involved in the klezmer scene, those folks who were instrumental in the period of time most of us call the klezmer revival, don't have a strong enough platform today to tell their stories and share their ideas about music. I want to give them that chance here. I've also felt for a number of years that due to a lot of complex reasons, some of which we actually get into at the end of today's conversation, there isn't as much interaction between younger people who are interested in this music and more experienced performers, let alone the elders of the scene, like there was for me when I was coming up. The time I spent listening and talking to the musicians in this world who I looked up to was completely integral to who I am today as a musician and as a person. Even just listening to the stories of what being a professional in this music was like made a big impact on me when I was in my 20s and just beginning to find myself in my place in klezmer music. I hope listening to these conversations can vicariously provide you all with some of that same feeling I had back then. Okay, a little logistics. Most interview podcasts like this release new episodes once a week. Unfortunately, due to scheduling, geography, this scene is pretty spread out, and I don't live in New York where the greatest concentration of musicians are, and a complete lack of a budget to make these podcasts, I know I can't live up to a production schedule like that. My current plan is to offer these episodes up in mini-seasons of three to four episodes each, once every two weeks for the duration of the season. I plan on offering these seasons every couple months, so this first season will debut this month, and then my plan is to have a new set of episodes for you in October. That's my current plan, and I expect to reevaluate it as I get deeper into this. Okay, I think that's enough about me. Let's introduce you to today's guest, Michael Winograd. Michael Winograd is one of the leading klezmer clarinetists around, both in New York where he lives and around the world. He's also one of my closest friends and musical collaborators. I met Michael on my first day at New England Conservatory in late summer 2002. It took us a few years to get close, but since the end of college we've been playing music of all kinds and have been a sounding board for each other's ideas. Michael has played on lots of projects of mine, and I've been a member of a couple bands of his, including the Bessarabian Hop Band, Infection, and his current internationally renowned Klezmer Orchestra. For as long as I've known him, Michael has created his own place in the music. He composes compelling and catchy tunes, puts together bands with amazing musicians, and performs a lot. It's what's made him so important in our little international community of Klezmer and the wider Jewish music world. He's produced several CDs for Yiddish singers, most notably the late Adrian Cooper, arranged music for orchestras, and made great and fun movie promos. His tireless work and amazing music have always and continue to be an inspiration for me. I also owe Winograd a lot for letting me crash at his apartment possibly hundreds of times since he moved back to New York after college. I'm putting up this interview first because I've talked to Michael about the ideas that drove me to create this podcast more than anyone else. 
Even still, I learned a lot about him that I didn't know when we talked. We cover a lot, from what it was like being a young Klezmer fan in the 1990s in Long Island to what we feel the scene looks like today, formative times at NEC and lots more. Like many other podcasters, I'm doing everything with this podcast on my own. Luckily, I get to build on the strong connections the music brings all us musicians in this klezmer scene to make what I think will be great interviews. In other aspects of the production, like the recording and editing, I'm pretty new at this, so I hope you all can forgive any lower quality moments. While I'm doing this on my own, I have had lots of help making this podcast a reality, and I'd like to thank all my friends who have encouraged me to make it, and everyone who has been excited to talk to me. I'd especially like to thank Philadelphia's Feinstein Center of American Jewish History for their contribution to help me get this off the ground. As this is a new podcast, I really need all your help in spreading the word. Please rate and review this in iTunes or wherever you listen to it, and please let people know about it. You can also send me any questions or feedback at dan, that's D-A-N, at danblacksberg.com, B-L-A-C-K-S-B-E-R-G.com. All right, that's enough from me. Thank you all for listening. Let's go hear from Michael Winograd. So, I have this idea. I want to do this podcast. Obviously, I've been talking about it for a while. Yeah. So, yeah. What am I doing? <laughs> I have no idea. No idea. But these seem to be really uh, popular these days amongst music circles, so why the hell not? Why not, you know? I think the idea is, like, we've got all these people out there, and they don't talk about their music very much. Mm, okay. You know, I think that's the bottom line. People don't have a chance to learn what people's music is about or why they think about anything or why they're doing what they do. Hmm. So I don't know. I feel like it should be done. So you know, this is for the this is for posterity, right? You know, sure. so this is for the people. Wait a minute, I thought what I'm, I'm aren't I getting paid for this? Yes, yes, hundreds <laughs> of hundreds, promises. hundreds, yeah, right, <laughs> hundreds of imaginary dollars, <laughs> hundreds of imaginary dollars. <laughs> so you know, U.S. This Klezmer thing, right? Yeah, US, you can get you can get them in any denomination. Yeah, That's the right. cool. They they actually change their imaginary. Cool. Um, yeah. So like, you've been playing Klezmer forever. 20 years. Why did you do that? Oh, boy. Uh, I don't know. Uh, it's funny. This, uh, I think when you start from, from a young age, it's really hard to know why you did it. Yeah, that makes you sense. You know, I feel like older, like the, the older I got, there are decisions I made that I thought through consciously. But this was at least long ago enough, and I was young enough to not really remember exactly why, why I did it. Yeah. Why, I mean, why? Other so, than I liked it. Right. You know. I remember you told me that your first Klezmer concert was with Naftali's Dream. That's true, yeah. How the, old was that? How old were you in that? So I think that I was 13 or possibly 14. I don't remember the timeline exactly, but it was it was sometime within 1996, I believe. Uh-huh. And, um, <clears throat> and basically... Uh, uh, my father had seen a movie about Jewish music. Uh, I could get into the whole thing about uh, about my father and cantorial music. Oh yeah, totally. which is which kind of this is kind of I think part of it. I had just started to get into you know like weird jazz and avant-garde jazz and stuff. That's already uh, pretty young a, a, for that. A, a little bit. I just, mean, I would say just, that's really young. Just for that a little, just general. a little bit, not a ton. You know, like mm-hmm. maybe you know, whatever. You know, but I was listening to later Coltrane. Who because, played you that? 
I mean, I think that, uh, that, you know, I was involved in some jazz programs and, you know, listen to Coltrane and then I somehow stumbled on Ascension or something like that. Okay. Um, but I, I don't remember exactly, but I was sort of getting into it just a little bit, you know, knocking on the door of it a little bit. Mm-hmm. And, uh, meanwhile, my father, this was one when, when he was getting into cantorial music for, uh, you know, when he was first st- is stepping into that and it became, you know, his passion in terms of music. Uh, and the reason he got into it was because he was made the head of the cantorial search committee at uh, Shelter Rock Jewish Center in Long Island. Oh, there we go. For, for either the first, second, or third time. This is true <laughs> that over the years, my fa- no, this was probably the first time, uh, given uh, thinking about when, when it all happened. It must, yeah, this was the first time. I remember because our cantor that we had had for a long time, Avi Albrecht, one of his last gigs at Shelter Rock Jewish Center was my bar mitzvah. Okay. So, um, so he so he was getting into Jewish music through the cantorial thing, and um, and I guess he saw some. If I'm this is a long time ago, so I don't know if I'm getting all the details right on this, but I, as far as I remember it, he got in. He saw a film about Jewish music and new Jewish music, and one of the. Um, and one of the people that was on it was John Zorn and was talking about Masada. So my father, of course, came back and said, hey, there's this klezmer band called Masada. Oh, yeah, that great klezmer yeah, band, great Masada. Klezmer band, right, right. <laughs> and, and they, um, uh, so, um, so Masada, so he saw that, the, that there was this Masada concert happening at, I think, JVC Jazz Festival. And we got there, and it turned out that it wasn't Masada. Now, I don't remember why it wasn't Masada, whether it was supposed to be or if my father just got it wrong, but it was John Zorn duo with Milford Gray. Okay. Um, so I'm 13, and I'm at a John Zorn and and and, uh, and Milford Graves concert. But I wasn't just at a John Zorn and Milford Graves concert because they were the second act of three. After them was the Sunra Orchestra. Okay. And before them was Naftali's Dream. Wow, that's a pretty wild bill. It was a pretty wild bill. So um, what I can say in absolute terms, my father despised this concert. <laughs> he thought this was shit. Um, and, uh, and, <laughs> and I was really excited. Um, oh, yeah. You know, I don't remember what excited me most. I don't think, I think I was a little too young to really uh, appreciate Sunra for all that it was. I mean, I definitely liked it. Sure. But I was, I was definitely uh, a bit young to really appreciate it. Um, but uh, Milford Graves would run into the audience as Zorn was playing a solo and he would pick up audience members and just kind of run around with them. But anyway, uh, Naftali's Dream was the opening, was the was the first act on the bill that night. Right. Um, I'm pretty sure that I saw this before I went, I, I think I saw this before I saw in the Fiddler's, uh, the, uh, Fiddler's House tour. Okay. It was right around the same time that the Fiddler's House tour played at, uh, I believe, the Tillis Center in... Um, I don't remember. I either saw that once or... I may have seen the Fiddler's House tour also um, at, like, Radio City or something like that in Manhattan, but I also saw it at some point at... um in uh, in Long Island at the Tilla Center at CW Post College. That's, like, uh, 95, 96, right? Probably not 95. Right. I don't think that I was... I think 96 was... I don't think I really heard Klezmer music until 96. Um, and anyway, so I did hear... Um, this Naftali's Dream concert. 
and just remember thinking, oh, this is Jewish music. That's Jewish music. I could, all I, of it. I could get into this. All right. Um, and there were all these, there were these fairs that would go on in Long Island, like these Jewish culture fairs. They seemed to be a thing that, like, I never really heard again about. But like, I just remember me and my father would go to these like Jewish like day fairs that would happen at different synagogues and JCCs and and and, and different places all around Long Island. And what's his name was always there. Uh, uh, Pasternak, Velvel Pasternak, was always there. Selling his books. With his selling books, and there was a CD stand there. I don't know if he ran the CD stand, but I just remember that there were all the books, and there were all these CDs, and we used to go, and we just bought like within a year. We, I, I, I was the owner of just so many dozens of klezmer CDs. And I had, and, and, and so I got, so I like, I jumped into it full force. Cause it was like you and your dad doing this together as like a father son yeah. thing. Absolutely. Yeah. We was would go to these, like, these things. Yeah. I mean, I know you and your dad have a great relationship yeah, and yeah. we love Mark, you yeah, know? Yeah, yeah. So, uh, but was this one of the first times that you guys had really bonded on a specific thing? Or? I, no, we were, we, I mean, I'm pretty close with my parents, you yeah, know, and yeah. we, we were always close. Uh, so oddly enough, if there is one thing of bringing people together in the family years later, I'm talking decade, a decade and a half later, somehow with my brother starting a family and my cousin getting older, they got into cantorial music to an extent, something that none, none of us really thought was going to happen. Hmm. And now, so now like my, so like in the last couple of years on Slichas, uh, me and my father and my cousin and my brother go to the service together at midnight. Okay. My brother did a double header this year. He went to, we went to Fifth Avenue Synagogue and saw um, Joseph Malavani first. And then we went to, um, to, uh, to Borough Park to hear Ben Sion Miller. And my brother stuck it out the whole time. Wow. So I think for me and my father always got along and yeah, the Jewish music thing was very natural the funny part was really my brother and my cousin getting into it yeah it's interesting um, but, it was like um, your thing yeah so so there were these fairs and me and and i remember one of the i one of the acts and there were there was always a klezmer band there the only one that i remember particularly was harold seletsky and the west end klezmorum which uh is do you know harold seletsky no so you should kind of know harold seletsky because right. harold seletsky a couple years later i played a concert and uh, with Harold Seletsky at, um, it was either at Shelter Rock Jewish Center or maybe Temple, but something, I think it may have been at Shelter Rock. If it wasn't Shelter Rock, it was one of the other, one of the other synagogues around me in Long Island um, where he had his klezmer band. Um, and then I had my little trio, uh, you know, 16 or 17 year old, however old it was, klezmer sensation, Michael Winograd. Oh, I've seen that po com yeah, poster. Yeah, that poster. Yeah, yeah the poster might still at my parents' house. Yeah, I mean, klezmer sensation. Yeah, the, well, the it must have been at Shelter Rock because they, who else would have presented? But, um, but uh, it's a yeah, home, home, it's home, a home turf, turf advantage home turf kind of vibe. Thing. Yeah. So there's two cool things about, there's three cool things about the Harold Seletsky band. Okay. Um, and I will go in order of, uh, well, whatever order, no order in particular. First was that Avram Pengus played in his band. Oh, cool. Um, Avram, oh, Avram Pengus, and possibly, I don't know if um, at those concerts, but certainly on his CD, Peter Stan also was playing in his band. All right. So he had some cool folks in his band. I'm going to come back to that point third. Um, so that was, one, that was one cool thing. The second cool thing was that right around the time that I played with him, so it must have been a couple years later, and, and those fairs, I went to those for a couple years, so I, maybe I didn't see Harold Slesley playing until 2000, uh, until 1997 or something like that. Um, but he was the one who first said to me, uh, if you're ever interested in studying with an, inter with a, with an interesting um, musician uh, who kind of does weirdo Jewish music, a, a contemporary of mine, and say a friend, he said a contemporary of mine, is a guy named Joe Maneri at New England Conservatory. Oh, wow. 
I'm gonna come back to this point in just a second. There's all snakes around. The third and most interesting point for me is that fast forward a good two decades or however long it was, um, I was one of my good friends on Not Fort, who you know. Yeah. Uh, you know, she was on my record and we used to play a lot together. She told me when I brought her in to play on um, the Storm Game stuff that she had spent a lot of time with Harold Soletsky. Hmm. Not just playing in his klezmer band for a couple of years, but studying with him because he was a microtonal composer. Interesting. Yeah, and he was, and she said, an absolutely brilliant teacher. And so mm. he, and, and she used to, when she played in his klezmer band, he would write these, these microtonal klezmer tunes, and she would have to bring two keyboards on stage. This was back in probably the... I would say the late late nineties, early two thousands, maybe mid nineties. You know, I, I don't, I don't. I should, I should catch up with a knot and find it exactly when these yeah, were. But they would, awesome. they would set up like these two keyboards at in, in quarter tones, and huh, and yeah. he had all these. And so he was a contemporary of Joe Maneri. Sure. And they they were contemporaries, not through any ethnic music thing, but through microtonal composition. Whoa. Um, and all that stuff. So that's kind of cool. So it turns out that Harold Soletsky wasn't just you know like one of these New York schmaltzy style klezmer clarinetists who was quite good, but he had this whole other life in, in microtonal music and theory and contemporary classical music that was really cool. And so, um, so anyway... Have uh, you checked out any of that stuff? Have you heard any of his pieces? I haven't heard any of his stuff. I've, I've read a bunch of his stuff that's online, and he, he, was, he, he wrote a lot about okay. stuff. I don't know, but it was pretty cool when Anat told me that he was like this just amazing teacher. You know? That's awesome, and, yeah. Uh, and so that that kind of thing, but uh, it's also funny because Anat really had like she played klezmer back then with him, and then with me did this record, and kind of in between. I mean, she's jazz. obviously she has more than enough to do musically yeah. that she didn't have yeah. to do that. But uh, um, but so, anyway, so that was pretty cool. So so he was one of the first acts that I saw, and also he was the first guy to tell me to go study with Joe Maneri mm-hmm. a couple years, a year or so before I was studying with Matt Dario. And he also told me to, to go and study with Joe so Maneri. So let's just talk about New York for a second. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like you're talking about seeing all these people and especially the cantors, right? So, you know, a lot, I think a lot of people, myself included, yeah. grew up when we encountered Klezmer, there was this sense of this is our music. Uh, I already do this, you know, or this is already a part of me. You know, I, I, cause I, I, but I just had a very traditional synagogue, conservative synagogue upbringing. Mm-hmm. But you're hearing all this, like, you know, much more rooted stuff in a lot of ways. Well, there's a couple things. Or is I, it about that? It sort of all started at the same time. Eh, maybe it did, maybe it didn't. Remember, I also started going to Camper Mound, the Berkshires at eight, and we mm-hmm. lived a little bit, we lived a more religious, sort of like, we were into religion. You know, I wouldn't right. say that we were a religious family, but like, you know, like, I think that when my grandfather passed away, my father got, like, you know, classic story, you know, some people are drawn to religion when that happens. Sure. My father definitely got, he, like, you know, really, like, synagogue life really helped him through that, and he continued in that. I think that really, um, you know, I think that that was in 95, I guess, or so. It was right around the same time, or, no, it must have been earlier, because I was already going to... Well, I guess he got into Judaism before then. I don't know. I'm missing parts of the story, but we were we were definitely into um, into Judaism, and I started going to Jewish summer camp, where you know music was a part of it to some extent. Yeah. You know, and like there was always the every every year at Camp Ramah they would have the they would have the um, 
they would have like these two like night big night events for the whole camp one was a dance night one was a one was a song night and each age group would have to learn a song and whatever none of us particularly especially as we were when we were younger we did not enjoy this. This was something that <laughs> the kids hated. The Zimria was this was the was the song one, right? Zamir song, right? As uh, and the my Hebrew is it's been a while it's since good, I've been good. there. No and, and the Rikudia, Rikud, I think is dance, right? Rikudia was the dance night, and uh, and this was all, all Israeli music, you know, sure. um, uh, some older, some contemporary, you know, and like and that was part of it you know and as i got older uh, and i was still going to camp i i used to play in these events you know and um and you know from one to and they would have a con- there was a concert each year they would bring in a band um i'm not sure these bands were particularly great but yeah. i mean i remember that like um but you know, I remember this guy Rick Recht used to come. Oh yeah, I you know Rick him. Recht, right? You know, yeah. you know, like those kind of bands. But then the funny part was that, like, years later, I find out that like guys who I now work with, like, I think Brian Gelfand, he used to go and play. I remember Brian Gelfand was there, and he, and then I ended up playing gigs, gigs with him in New York when I moved to New York. And I think Yoshi Fruchter may have done a, done, done a, a a thing there also. But they never, they never were open really to the klezmer stuff. Right. Um, and um, and. You know, I mean, I met Joe Dopkin at at, oh, at, okay. at at Ramah when he introduced me to the idea of going to Kleds Camp, which I did pretty soon after I first heard those bands. You know, right, within yeah. that year, you know, for you it was like you discovered Klezmer music, and then within a year you're just like I was inundated. Just, and, in yeah, it. I just jumped right in. Yeah, yeah, um, I think that was the same for me. What I mean, which is funny because it's because I met you. Yeah, which is that I started heavily listening to one Klezmatics record in my senior around. year of high school, yeah. Jews with Horns. Yeah, and um. Then I thought I was good at Klezmer somehow. Yeah, yeah of course. <laughs> because I could read, and we had the Mel Bay book, you know, the one that oh, Cookie yeah. worked but on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's yeah, this yeah. funny book with that, all these I transcriptions. The, I have the B flat version of that at my parents' house still. It's, yeah. it's funny because it has like all the bends written right, in. Right, right. So it's kind of a weird, weird lead right, sheets right, to read, right. but I was so into it. And I remember uh, finding one of the tunes from the record in the book, and I was so psyched. And my dad and I played it at Simchus Torah. Yeah, or synagogue, and then I was like, I'm gonna go start a klezmer band because at that age, my goal was to go to Oberlin and study jazz with Robin Eubanks. <laughs> and uh, I was like, I'm gonna go to Oberlin, I'm gonna start a klezmer band, we're gonna be like, we're gonna be amazing. I don't know how I got to this because I had no information, and you know, other things changed. I went to NEC, and I remember very clearly that first day. I think I had like one record on Knitting Factory Records mm-hmm. and I thought I was hip. I definitely felt like I knew more. I was like, I know stuff, you know, and I met all these people, found out I knew absolutely nothing yeah. about contemporary, <laughs> yeah, modern, yeah, yeah. you know, sort of out jazz within yeah. like hours. Oh, within hours. Of getting yeah, there. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. then that night was the, uh, the CI concert and you played with your band and I was like, oh, I don't know anything about this right. cluster music. Which is, which is also funny because, because you, you know, throughout that whole period, I would say from the time you, I, I can only speak for me, but from the time I entered college until I would say 10 years later, I definitely had no, like would go from these extremes of saying, I know everything to like, I know absolutely <laughs> nothing. Like I would, I would go from these, these periods of feeling like complete control and thinking I was the best. And then having times where I was like, where it's like, I have no idea what I'm doing and I cannot do any of this, which is kind of funny, which is a great place to be when you're a student. Totally. You know, I mean, it leaves you open. And, and like, it, A, it takes the confidence to jump into certain things. Like, if you have the confidence, you'll jump into situations. Right. I remember jumping into, like, I couldn't, I couldn't play a note of jazz, which is still 
pretty much true. Yeah. And, you know, whatever, it's not my thing. But I was so confident at times that I would just step in and play with these guys, not knowing what the hell I was doing. Yeah. And then there were times where I was like, not only did I feel that about jazz and all the other music that I didn't play, I would feel that about klezmer music. You know, I right. have no idea how to play this music. Right. Um, yeah, I would say it took me till about 2010 to really feel comfortable where I was. <laughs> and now I'm somewhere in the middle. You know, I'm like, I feel pretty good about how I play. You're back on your way down. Yeah, I'm back on my way Come down. To a couple years from now, you're yeah. like, I don't know anything about this I don't know what I'm doing, yeah. trouble finding information or things to do you know no, you didn't no. have to really look very far not to find inspiration not then and not in new york yeah um, really not then too that's yeah, a very that, interesting that was a thing and also the jewish music thing like i so far i've only talked about these fairs that i went to with my dad along right. the other side of it is that you know i was studying with matt dario starting, so how, how did you get hooked up with matt dario? i think i met him at my second year of klez camp okay uh the klezmatics played with um with chava alberstein at klez camp very cool which was amazing that was yeah, an unbelievable a... concert to happen at one of these places right you know? it's a deep record it's a deep record oh it's such a good it's such a good record right oh it was it was amazing yeah and um and i remember i had a copy of it and all of the klezmatics signed it <laughs> and i remember the first time that was the first time that david licht gave me the uh the licht handshake with the snap yeah uh you know and i remember that <laughs> still doing I, it after I rem- all these I re- years i remember it uh, i remember standing there with alicia signing the cd you know and i met matt and i started studying with him and i studied with him from then until until for you know for two years or so before I went to college, and um, but these but you know there was also times when he would be like okay listen I'm gonna go to the show at the uh, uh, the wherever the Knitting Factory I used to go to see shows with him at Tonic and the Knitting Factory meet him at places you know oh wow and I started going to Golden Fest then and mm-hmm. I mean I remember I didn't even think of it but there was this I remember this set in my head uh, of it was Paradox Trio and Pachora playing together at Golden Fest at Golden Fest wow yeah because like you and know, they were playing and, dance tunes right you know because they like were really into it yeah. they were really into it and you know oh. this is like Jim Black and Chris Speed and, and like Chris, people yeah. who when I went to college it was like jazz 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 uh-huh. and then there's yeah what a, I mean what an amazing time to be around you oh know? it was an amazing time in new york to have also uh, you know like the, like the 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 klezmer scene and the balkan scene were really crossing major paths with uh, the, the downtown new york scene i mean yes it was a lot of the same players but the collaborations were incredible i mean i remember they they used to have there was like the uh the oihu jewish music festival happened once oh, a year right and and, and and that took a couple different that had a couple different shapes over the years but when it was at the knitting factory um I remember a show where I remember a double bill with Hasidic New Wave and and Paradox Trio that was amazing. Mm. I remember um, Uri Kane and Aaron Ben Susan doing a show together. Whoa. That was incredible. Then they put a record out on 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 Any Factory, the Zohar okay. Zohar record, uh, which was really cool because Aaron Ben Susan was the cantor at. Um, 
at, at one of the synagogues around us in Long Island that we used to go to see his concerts all the time. Right. And so then he was also the knitting factory doing this stuff. Right. And there was just this moment where all these people were just mixing it up and there was a huge audience for it, right? Huge. Yeah. I mean, I mean, do you remember just being around lots of people at these shows? Oh, packed shows all the time. Packed all the time. Sh- packed shows all the time. I remember, uh, I remember watching a klezmatic show at the knitting factory, me and Jake, uh, as you know, te- we were teenagers standing in the front and it was packed and, um, and it was, it was incredible. It was amazing. You know, that one was probably a little later, but you know, uh, these, yeah, these, it was, it was a great time. And the klezmer brunches every week, the Atonic. klezmer brunch at Tonic was, was on fire. Yeah. That was incredible. Oh, also, yeah. One of those klezmer brunches, they said, oh, we're not going to do a brunch this week. It's going to be a masterclass with David Krakauer. So I went my saxophone and, um, and I played for him. And at the end, my father came and picked me up and <laughs> comes over to me. He says, you might really want to think about playing clarinet. And so I went, I remember my, my pal, Matt Honovic, who was a guy who lived around the block from me. Uh, he was, uh, uh, just, you know, a friend of mine from the neighborhood. I remember that he had played clarinet when we were in like middle school or something. I'm like, Hey, you still have a clarinet? He's like, yeah, it's in the garage. So I bought it from him for 35 bucks. There you go. Yeah. And then I had a clarinet. Um, but like there were these different shows at the brunches each week and some of them were good and some of them were sucked and some of them were were in the middle but they were regular and they had these jam sessions that would happen all the time I remember playing in a in a klezmer jam session at 15 years old and Will Holshauser was leading it oh how about that how about that you know cool stuff good musicians and then Krakauer put would would uh would would do these shows called klezmer of tomorrow where he would have he would have you know teenage bands which I think which I think meant me and Jake like I don't, I don't, bands. I don't remember if there was, if there was. This maybe happened two you or guys three are like times. Like minor threat, oh, yeah. And Husker do. Of, I, uh, I remember, yeah. I remember there were two, Klezmer. yeah, two or three times it happened. I don't know if it happened more or maybe it happened a bunch more times. And there were other bands, but yeah. I remember I put a, together a band once, and then Jake put a band. It had the Klezminers, and then one time me and him played duo together. I remember me on piano, him on fiddle. Whatever these things just happened then, and it was. And you knew each other from Klez Camp. We knew each other from Klez Camp. Yeah, we met at like. I and you're the same. I mean, year. But we're all within about a year of each other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's just amazing to be have seen all of these things there at that age. There was so much you going know, on. It's just about. It's like a cumul. If there's like a cumulative experience, like what does that do? I remember you playing me your Unikov when sometime I was over at your parents' house when we were uh, in between. Like winter break, and, oh, okay. like, and you're like, I can count this, and I'm like, I have no idea what's going on. <laughs> and I, I thought I was like, I mean, I was upset because I was like, <laughs> I want to be, I want to impress this guy, but I just thought he's been doing this for so long already. I'm very lucky. I mean, man, if if you know, I lived in New York, I I would go to shows in the city, you know, you know, uh, for the mo- you know, I you know, I. You know, I had a family that supported me going to this stuff. And you, like, made this decision that Jewish music or and the surrounding music around it were going to be your thing. I guess so. Maybe guess. even before you even had to think about it. Maybe before I didn't think about it. You know, look, I had, I had had, I think it was, it was, it was, you know, it, it was almost like, you know, a lot of people face this thing where, like, I know, like, a, like people who were around at the beginning of the Klezmer revival were like, you know, I found, after being turned away from mainstream Jewishness, you know, I found years later, I, I found Klezmer in Yiddish and it brought me back to have to a place. Well, I think for me, it was kind of like, there was more of like an overlap where I was, I was still like going to Jewish summer camp and I was a young kid who was into it. I found this stuff. And then as I started to get away from like, you know, for, for a number of reasons, got away from the, 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 you know, mainstream Jewish life, be it, you know, 
political, social, all the reasons that you get that you get far from there. I still I had this other thing going on, right? And I totally was just submerged in it, you know, um, uh, you know, and and you know, and I, yeah. So there was so much going on then, right then and there that. I didn't even know how much I was learning. So the, I think what's interesting, like one of the questions I've been thinking about for, especially for like the older folks who are like the generation above us, and I want to talk about that in in a, for in a minute, is like, when did you realize that like Klezmer was your artistic expression or was one of your vehicles for artistic expression? But I think for like you, and I think for me even, it was sort of before we started really asking those questions seriously. Yeah, I think that once I, once I got to the place where I was asking those questions, I would say the end of my NEC days as I was preparing to leave college mm -hmm. and as I was preparing to move to New York and become a musician, when, by the time I got to New York, I was like, I am not a Klezmer musician. Interesting. I am a clarinet player. I, I do everything. Right. And it took me probably about five or six years to just be comfortable with the fact that, Michael, you are a klezmer musician. <laughs> well, you know, I'm still trying to have it both ways. But, right, right, um, right. But you so were always more of a more of an other things than okay, I was. Okay, I'll, yeah. I'll take that. When did you decide that music was like, you knew that even maybe even before klezmer. Like you knew music um, was absolutely the thing you did. I think, I mean, like everyone, my parents, I think, knew it before I did. Yeah. You know, like, like I, you know... Um, I was a terrible, my piano teachers, I studied piano before, before uh, saxophone, but, um, and I had, and I studied piano probably through I was 13 or so. And I remember like, I had one teacher who I really liked, her name was Joe Quinn. She lived, uh, she was uh, a very older, very distinguished lady. She was awesome. She was really cool. Really like pushed me to do what I wanted to do. And she, but she would always get really like, I remember that uh, she would get really frustrated because I was playing a ton of piano, but I wasn't practicing any piano. <laughs> and like, I never, and I never became a good reader and I would learn all of these things by ear. Even and the classical pieces. Yeah. So it's oh, like, man, so I was like, I would, like so I would try to learn. So I remember, I remember that. And, and, and she never wanted to put me at the end of the recital where all of her best students, she would save till the end of the recital yeah. because she didn't think I deserved it. But oh, I was playing Sonata Patatique, Beethoven, and and she would play it for me, and I would hear what I was doing wrong, and so, and so, and I, of course, and I, at this point, I, and I still could barely read it to, to this day. My bass clef reading still sucks, you know. Yeah. And um, and, but you know, she also, but like I would also like she would always be like, okay, and on the recitals I would play that, and then she would let me play anything else that I wanted to play, what I was working on. So if it was could be a Beatles tune, it could be something that I wrote. It was you know, you know, it was so. So it was interesting, I, you know, um, but I, so I think that that kind of stuff before, but at some point I wanted to play music, you know, um, I don't, I don't, I don't remember when it was though. It was um, just like, probably by the time you even started thinking about what am I going to do, it was totally clear. It was clear, I guess.
said, you be, you realized you weren't just a clarinetist, that you were a klezmer musician and like deciding okay. to take that mantle on. And like, that was probably within the last 10 years, right? Oh yeah. That was, so, I mean, you know, my first couple, the, the time when I really was like militantly not, I am not a klezmer musician, you know, was when I got out of college mm-hmm. and, you know, I lived for a month with my folks and that was not working out. So then yeah, I moved in. So it drove, drove me insane for, for, yeah, that was an interesting time. Um, I really lost it for a month. And then I moved in with my uncle and aunt in the, in the city. And I got a job. You know, Adrian Cooper got me a job my first day looking for a job at the yeah. Workman Circle. Um, but I think that I was, you know, trying to figure out what to do. So my first project that I did when I moved to New York was, was um, playing improvised music with cartoons. Right. With, um, with, you know, turning the sound off of cartoons and, and improvising music to it. And it was me and me and Brian Adler from NEC started it together. Yeah, yeah. It was me, Brian Adler, Mike Gamble, and Ari Fulman Cohen. Okay. And that was the band. And we did a couple gigs. And that was the first band that I had because I think that I was so set on not being, I don't know if it was being branded. I don't know what it was. But it was, you know... And that went on for a couple of years of like, I mean, I definitely was into Klezmer, and no doubt about the, it. The job, the gig with Peter, that band with Peter and Nicole, also right? We had, yeah, we had the we had the the worldy fusion comedy band, right? Foreigner thing, yeah, foreigners, not foreigner. Um, <laughs> I was doing that. I was doing the thing with Jenny Romaine and and Kenny Wallace. That's what with I, the yeah, street right. Theater stuff, which that. That, of course, of all of that stuff, probably had the biggest, you know, impact well, I mean, on things, also obviously. also Kenny Wallace and... Kenny Wallace, like... I remember you called me up and you're like, I'm playing with Kenny yeah, Wallace yeah. and... Well, it was cool, you know, it's like, it was, it was like one of my first days working on music in New York was actually being in the Great Small Work studio making weird instruments with Kenny Wallace and, and, and designing costumes that would have instruments attached to it. And I was just like, this is the drummer who I grew up listening. I mean, he was, you know, yeah. at that point, I mean, he was like, he was probably my favorite drummer at the point, at that point, you know, and maybe that hasn't changed, you know, I mean, like, yeah. he was, you know, and I used to go see Sex Mob when I was like my, my later, sure. my, probably my last year of college, I would go out to see them at Tonic a lot. And throughout college, I was going to see them when I, when I was home, because they were playing a ton at that point, yeah, lot, you know, yeah. and he was on a Tom Waits record, sure. you know, he, he was on the Nora Jones record, you know, which right. was huge at that point, you know, right. um, and uh, anyway, yeah, so it was pretty cool. Um, but I, but I'm trying the I don't know why I why it was so important to not be branded a klezmer musician because mm-hmm. I was still playing pretty cool klezmer gigs. I remember my first klezmer gigs when I got back that I was leading. Um, I remember I, I got a gig at the Hollis Hills Jewish Center, and so I put a band with with Alpert and and Nick Cudahy was one of yeah. the first guys I played with in town. And, and, and you know, whenever you were still booking, I mean, you had that. Still I doing, seeing you guys still in, the, gigs, in yeah. the West, what's the park on the Upper West Side? Whatever. Oh, yeah, Riverside Park. We Riverside did that. Park. We did that. It was the Oyhu Festival. Yeah, that's so, right. So we are still doing stuff with Clever or trying for a couple of years, but we, too many. Um, yeah, that's fine. Too many stuff, <laughs> too many things got in the way of that band continuing. Um, uh, but, uh, uh, but, you know, we actually had a mini, mini reunion the other day because me and Alem, Richie, and Aoife, Found ourselves at, right. at Cornelia Street Cafe at uh, at the same time. Oh, nice! And uh, so that was pretty sweet. Yeah. <laughs> so you put together, but you put together a klezmer band two years within two years after you graduated from college because that was two thousand seven. Yeah. So you mean the one, the best Robbie Hop band? Yeah. Well, right, well, actually, I would say two thousand six. We had a failed recording session. That's right. And I remember I wrote some of those. And then two- even before that, you were and you I were wrote, doing I, that stuff at. Uh, we did this that session at your. 
at your aunt and uncle's house. Right. So that's I kind of I think that kind of started there. I wrote a couple tunes that year, mm-hmm. and um, and I think that was when I well I guess. No, with Hever, I wrote a bunch of klezmer tunes. That's true. I wrote a bunch of klezmer tunes with Hever, but uh, I think like when I moved to New York, I I don't remember why it happened. Oh, right, Jake and I, you know, we didn't see much of each other when I was in college, but then we were pals when we were kids, and then so we, so we, we started we started hanging out again. And um, when I got to New York, he was probably and playing a ton here. Already. He was playing a ton here because he was at NYU, so he was completely immersed in the Balkan scene. Ramashka was playing a ton of gigs at that point, yeah. you know. Um, and so he was like, you know, uh, I remember like him and Ben Holmes were playing together a lot. And it was like, oh, I haven't seen those guys in forever. And they yeah. sounded so good. And they were, and like, they were already, they had already built up a, they had, they had some, you know, like they were part of a scene in New York, totally. which I was desperate to become part of. But anyway, so Jake and I would get together and we'd play some klezmer tunes. And that's when we started the Tansois. So we started the first Tansois and we thought, you know, the, the we, we, you know, which kind of, still has some legs you know it's still like it was through ctmd right um or actually was the first one through ctmd i don't remember if it started through ctmd but we started at the jcc in manhattan yeah and we did it with zev feldman right and because we did that i started taking some lessons with zev because i remember like zev was like wow you you really don't play for dancing very well Mm -hmm. (laughs) he probably said it. well he probably said that to you now he probably yeah but no but he probably said it that you know that directly and so i took some lessons and i remember i would just like accompanying him dancing and like and it got me into that european repertoire and so um and that's when i became like kind of a stickler about i play the european repertoire but then i were already in there because we did that in college we were into that in in in, true in college we were already like Hankus, we're not gonna do your stupid <laughs> arrangements. We're gonna play. We we're gonna play like one chord. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. Know, no, oh, we were, right, right. Oh, because because of Merlin. Because of Merlin. Because of being a Merlin's band at Kles Camp. Yeah, right? I mean but that was that was amazing, right? That was amazing. Yeah, I mean, but uh, that then also became the time where I said I have no idea how to play a bulgar, and I was convinced that I just could not couldn't do it for mm, years. Mm. And I think that part of that had to do with like Zev's whole, you know, well, a bulgar is really kind of like a made up. You know, it was its transitional repertoire, and, right, you know, and right. then, but also because I was so into the European repertoire at some point, you know. Also, like I think I probably heard Christian play for the, you know, I, I had probably just started hearing him play at Kles Camp, and he was so good at that stuff, and I was like, oh my god, that's awesome, yeah. you know. And, totally and, his own thing. And then, so through that, I I kind of was writing those tunes, and we put together that recording session after Kles Camp, right? Uh, and then at my uncle's house, and then. Sometime the next year, put together did that session in Williamsburg at that studio. With, 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 and Dan Kahn was there, and Alicia was on. Alicia it. was there, yeah. And that one was a flop because it was the worst recording quality of anything I'd ever. It was completely com- unbelievable. Yeah, yeah. And then the next year, we recorded the best Robbie and Hop stuff. And um, right at Wombat at Studios. Wombat, Wombat Studio, and yeah, and that was pretty darn good. You know, that was it's that, a good that, record. Was, that was pretty good. So we recorded it in two thousand seven. Yep. And um. And released it in 2008. That's yeah. right. I remember one of the first times I really felt like we were like connected was when you asked me to hang out with you your senior year at Young Kippur when you were you're like I'm not going to synagogue this year Dan <laughs> oh, yeah. but I still want to fast let's just you, I, you, can you come over <laughs> we, we, we did fast we, yeah we watched Fiddler on the Roof oh, like Fiddler. twice I have, I have I have a number of, of I have a number of times throughout my life that I watched Fiddler on the Roof as therapy um, one of my favorite ones one of my favorite ones I, I watched it a lot in the in that in those in those times but uh <laughs> so in one i maybe i don't remember what year of college it was right but during thanksgiving break i um took the train home and back from boston and rachel hauser and i bought uh 
bought uh, tickets together. So right, we were riding the train. This, the train got stuck. So on the way back to Boston, like five minutes outside of um, of Penn Station, the train stops mm-hmm. because a train had derailed in front of us, and we're like, we're literally like five minutes outside. I think it was a 10-hour journey to Boston. Jesus. And so one of the things we did was we, we set up a laptop. We watched Fiddler in the, in the, in the cafe car. And all these other people <laughs> stood around watching with us. That's great. <laughs> it was really fun. So, but, like, uh, so okay, yeah. so Best Ramy and Hop is like, yeah. that was your first big statement. It was pr- primarily your tunes, right? It was like mostly... It was almost all my tunes and then, and then like two Moldovan tunes. Right, two Moldovan tunes. Well, yeah. we, didn't, we didn't put that one on the CD. That well, one... one horror got on the CD. Yeah, the bum, other bum, one. Bum, bum, that one got yeah, on the Yeah, and then the other one But didn't. the other one didn't, yeah. So then, so then at some point you said, I'm the Klezmer guy. I'm going to be the Klezmer guy. I guess so, but even... Well, I think that I was... At that point, I was like, okay, yeah, I'm doing Klezmer, but still, I like... Yeah, that's what it, I, I would mean, we still were playing, constantly... It was very important for me to be doing weirdo music yeah, at that point. Yeah, we were still playing still. free jazz with Joe Morris then. Yeah, yeah. and But at some point, I definitely, I think, pretty... Yeah, I think that by 2000 and sometime in 2008 or nine, when I was starting to really feel at home with playing dance sets, I think, mm-hmm. I think that was when I could really, like, I started... That was when we started to do this thing of like stringing together these tunes and really be able to play like continuous dance sets and stuff. And even though it was early on in that, yeah, I think that once I got comfortable with that, then I started feeling settled. I'm like, okay, I do this thing. I have a certain competency in it. There's plenty to learn. There's pl- still plenty to learn. Repertoire style. I still, in, at that point, even at Best Rabbi Hop, I still hadn't, I mean, my style, I still had major stylistic changes, you know? Sure. Um, I mean, even in the last two or three years, I've had stylistic changes. But I think at that point, I started to feel comfortable with it. And I think that we had, we had finally been, we had like a cohort, you know? Right, I yeah. Think like, I think part of it was like also like, you know, I'd been making so much music with Carmen for all those years, which was great. Yeah. But then she kind of like was going off and doing her thing, you know, in terms of musically um, and was playing less accordion. And then Patty moved to town. And so yeah. Patty moved to town, and we started playing more with Joey. And I think I yeah. think that had something to do with it. Was like like having contemporaries who we kind of connected with, and um, and I think that's kind of when it came together. Was like I wasn't relying on people who were who were so much older than me all the time, and you know, and I was kind of able to play my own tunes like in in a way that was, you know, decent enough. Yeah. You know, so. I don't know. Maybe it had something to do with that, uh, with 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 the people. Hey, Patty moving to town was probably a big big deal. Yeah, that's Patrick yeah. Farrell and oh, Joey Weisenberg. But yeah. you know, we'll talk about that later. Yeah. Or maybe I'll throw in an intercut. Who knows? Yeah. Or maybe I'll just leave this in. Like you a could bunch you could do it. a crazy edit, like right now or not. You know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we're just gonna leave all this in. Yeah. No, I remember feeling like we were doing a thing. Like this yeah. was a scene. We were a generation of guys who had like there was Patty was the accordion guy and you were the clarinet guy yeah, and yeah. like Joey had his thing and yeah. and Richie and, also Richie, and was, Richie was Richie was like starting to real even he'd been playing with the klezmatics for a couple years at this point but he was, he starting, was starting to get really into he was it. starting to get into klezmer and yeah. then a couple years later Benji shows up and is like exactly. gets into that yeah. gets into it too and then he starts singing and like Dan Khan yeah. on the other side and so it was really like it really felt like 
our generation was coming. There was like we a, had a, we had a, it was like a band. And I was, it was and like I, a band's and I, worth. And I of was people. writing. I was writing songs with Sarah. You right? Yeah, exactly. You know, um, and we met Judith. You know, I mean, I think that it was like because yep. Judith then started gigging with that band. Judith Burson, right? Yeah, yeah was right, singing right. swing, I, and now yeah. she's making crazy noise music. Yeah, you know. Uh, so I think that it was. I yeah, it definitely. Now that you when you when you say it out loud, it, like it, it it was about being surrounded by people of the same generation and finding a voice in the, and all of but that who, stuff. And all those people had their own projects in different genres. Of I course, mean, yeah. Judith was an avant-garde musician. We were avant-garde musicians. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We were also doing this thing. And and I was playing with Frank a lot at that. I mean, point. R- Richie was touring with Herbie Hancock then. Right. Or well, he'd already done that. <laughs> or maybe he was on. To, maybe he had moved on to uh, to Chick Corea at that point. I yeah. Don't know. Right. I mean, he was playing yeah. with he was playing all these jazz gigs, mm-hmm. and and it was it was cool. And it was just and for me, it was definitely. That time I was still living in my parents' house, yeah, and just being up sleeping on your floor most of the time, right, 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 like three days a week, yeah, yeah. I really should have moved here, maybe, but oh well, oh well. I just uh, got free rent for years. Yeah, Thank yeah. you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, so but so we felt like. I mean, did you then enter another period where you felt like you knew what you were doing? I think I had gotten. I think in those years, in the from from the time I moved to New York. Mm-hmm. Through the time when we released that record, two thousand eight, was probably one of my biggest growth periods musically. Mm-hmm. I think I learned how to practice a little bit. I think I got a lot of clarinet stuff together. I think klezmer stuff started to make a lot more sense. Yeah. And so I think by the time two thousand eight came around, I was starting to feel settled about. I don't think that I was like in a spot where I was like I know everything. I think I was yeah. like saying like okay, I'm feeling content with how I'm playing this music. I know what I want to get into more and like and I think I was ready to take on a bunch of different stuff, but I felt grounded enough with Klezmer stuff. I feel like that's about the time cuz I always thought of you as a guy who like had to have the thing you believed in to the exclusion of everything else. You know, I remember in college, you're like, I play free improv. I don't play free improv. <laughs> We're like, and I feel like that was about the time when you sort of said, oh, I can just be myself and I don't have to make these grand statements about what's good and what's not good. Sure. And, and, and you know, I mean, for what it's worth, you look back on all of it and it all, I mean, studying improvisation with Joe Morris made my klezmer playing significantly stronger. Interesting, right? You know, significantly stronger. And, and, and I remember we were both kind of surprised at it because I remember I played him some like, we had recorded the Fever record and he's like, he's like, and I remember just like both of us kind of noting that earlier in that year, I mm. did not sound as strong as a clarinetist, you know, mm. and then like. You know, and then I had control of the instrument. So let's talk about that for a second. What was it about that playing improvised music or maybe just playing with Joe that made you a better clarinetist? I think it had something to do more with Joe. I think Joe could have been teaching me any kind of music in Uh the way that he taught. He was teaching me as a technician. Mm -hmm. He was not even teaching me, like, artistically as much. Maybe he was, maybe he wasn't. Hard to say. But, like, he was removing me from, like, things in my head. Like, I was, he was, he was trying to, like remove like certain expectations that I had right, of myself. Just like go for and it. And he's like, just get it done. Uh-huh. You know, get it done. And 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 be able to do this. And there were times when he tore me to shreds. Oh man. His lessons were the most emotional things I ever had. Really? Oh, up till that point at least. I mean, you know, like some of those lessons really, really like screwed with me. And but got and then and then I, a week later I was like an exceptionally better musician. Wow. You know, I mean he had some he cracked me open. And it was really interesting. It was like, wow, this guy... And maybe it was because it was so far away from the things that I was making artistically. Maybe I needed somebody who was like on a different dimension in a way. ¶¶ 
wanted to start this podcast was because two years, two, maybe even three years ago, I left Clez Canada and I thought, I'm the youngest of the old guys. <laughs> we're, we're the youngest of the old guys. I mean, I think Jake is maybe like a couple months younger than me in the end, but like, because we're, we're no longer of a, we're no longer the, the young generation. You know, I mean, I feel bad for, for people who've gotten into Klezmer anytime in the last 12 years more that they didn't have any exposure to the generation, the half generation older than Pete. Sure. I mean, that's a bummer. You know, I mean, even if you just got a little bit of time with one or two people. I think that's how I would characterize my experience. Yeah, that's, it's, it, you, you get, you, you gain an understanding pretty quickly of something that's, that's intangible and hard to describe. Um, you know, um, but I do think that that's one of the nice things about not just Klezmer, but about Klez Camp mm-hmm. was that it put a real, it put that was important there, yeah. Like in that place more than other places. I mean, yeah, it was great. When we had Danny Rubenstein at Clez Canada. That was awesome. Totally. And we missed the days of Max Epstein being there. I'm sure that was crazy cool. <laughs> but at Clez Camp, like at Clez Camp, I did feel like that that they stressed that as much as possible as long as they could. Yeah. And that was very very special. And um, it makes sense because that's like how probably how Henry Saposnik learned most of what he did. And and it's an important thing. And if you have that, look, we, we're not going to have that anymore. You know, we talk about now like the older folks. Now we're mm-hmm. not the older folks when I got involved. Well, yeah, right. So what can we? What do we give people nowadays? It's hard. You know, it is hard. I mean, it's obviously, hard. you and I talk about this all the time. It's hard. I mean, you know, it's like you always have recordings, you know, which is great. Yeah, right, right. So, but it's like so it's what? like it's like you know. But look, this was this this brings up one of the things about you know like the revival as a as 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 a as as, as a uh, in context of study. Right. Well, let me try this out on you. I mean, yeah. I think like I feel like we got in. I always feel a little bit like a transitional age for a lot of things, you know, like uh, all the baby boomer rock groups are still ruling the world and they're going to all eventually pass on and there's going to be maybe, I mean, hopefully everything's around, but like there's maybe going to be another wave of these like this super, like that generation, really our parents' generation still runs everything and still like looms large, you know, and so we're kind of bridging the gap people who are 10 years old you know especially if you look at the klezmer scene like people who are 10 years older than us i think have it even worse than us in in this way Mm. where there's like there was nowhere there was nowhere 
things were still, but it was a combination because things were still really active. So there was kind of room to make their own thing, but they were kind of this nowhere generation. And then we came along and we were like, we're the new thing. And but we were, then and, and when I got involved, the business we were, collapsed. Kids. Right. We were right. And so it's like kids can do anything. You know, it's like you don't have like you get involved. You can you don't you don't have to worry about working. You know, you know, it's like, right. Exactly. At least for what the time when I got involved. Yeah. So I mean, and for me, too, because like yeah. I was, you know, yes, well, I mean, I got lucky that I started working right yeah, away. Yeah. But that's you know, that was maybe Providence right. And, as right, much and, as it and, was. and right at the time that we that we really became full time professionals was when every was when the market collapsed. The market collapsed. I mean, it was a financial crisis. Right. And then and then. People had already started turning away from Klezmer in Europe. Uh-huh. I think, I mean, I, in, 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 I would love yeah. to find out more about, like, this. You know, I'm sure some people will study it eventually. I think it's a, important to notice how this obsession with Klezmer morphed into this obsession with, uh, you know, Balkan brass, Serbian brass bands slash, you know, you know Roma brass bands, and then whether that's even still going on anymore. How much was it really going on is a well, question. But actually, I'll, tell you, I'll tell you one thing that, an interesting, maybe it, it's related, I, whatever. I remember doing one of my first KCB gigs. Mm-hmm. And so this probably was my first or second year of college. Right. Doing a Klezmer Conservatory Band uh, gig, uh, a wedding or something in Massachusetts somewhere. And I remember Jim Gutman, who didn't really know me much at the time, saying, so what kind of music are you playing? Or maybe it wasn't him, maybe Evan Harlan or maybe Grant Smith would say, so what kind of music do you play? Or, or who knows, Mark Hamilton, I don't remember which guy it was. And I was like, oh, you know, Klezmer, Balkan music. And they're like, wow, you got here 10 years too late, didn't you? I was like, and, and of course I was like, no. but Right, because it feels like now, if, yeah. you, if we met somebody, we might think that. Well, you know, in a way, I mean, look, if someone came and said, I really, I, I like, I mix downtown music, downtown jazz and and avant-garde jazz and klezmer you know like that had a heyday that is oh, not now it, it's that's I mean, for sure if, and if you look that's at for it, sure and it, it wasn't just a heyday of like that, that like that stuff sign is still happening but it was it was actually a trend within the klezmer world it wasn't right it was it, within the world it was it was it was a trend which it's not now you know it's uh right like the band in philly just did that naturally because that's who those guys were that's what those guys were into right but like all the you guys know, who were but, doing uh, this but trends changed within the klezmer world so it's but what like are the, so yeah. what are the trends now now i actually don't know i don't know right and we're in the middle of it i know that i know what it was kind of like six years ago because i was kind of like you know i remember hearing when when because at some point, like these, like kind of like chamber European klezmer records came out. Yeah, right. And, that was and, right. and that was that was. You know, I remember. I remember when you when know when the, that the, was. That was in two thousand six when you were living in Williamsburg. Because I remember I brought over the Budowitz record and the Budo Budowitz had just Midnight released the live. Was the, was that the live record? live record? So Budowitz, the live record came out, and then Joel Rubin had released Midnight Prayer. Midnight Prayer. Great records. And great. Still, totally these records. The Chavrisa record. Yeah. Um, there were, uh, Steve Greenman had made a nice, a nice record mm-hmm. at that point, and there was all this stuff going on. And a couple years later, I got into like this. This I just was listening to a lot of Steve Reich at, at some mm-hmm. point, um, and um, and for me, those two things, like mm. those, gave me a reason to to play like those two. Like being that's into like that the thing. Storm game. That's how aesthetic. that stuff. That's well. That's it was it, first. It was the trio. Sure, like right. it was like okay, okay, let's do it. I'm gonna put together the trio, and I'm just gonna write a bunch of minimalist klezmer music, which I right. did. And then that's that ultimately led to the storm game stuff. But um, which is funny because the storm game thing, and specifically that tune, murder, 
was one of the sounds that I connect was able to connect to like earth and then we're like Devakis totally. and the metal thing. Totally. And it had and it had film. lots of and and I think the well the idea of slow cerebral music and it's minimalism right. and it's minimalism. Like, yeah. Totally. And and that and that ruled court for me for a couple of years. Right. I would say from two thousand nine till probably about two thousand thirteen, that was kind of like a a it was a period for me, but like you know, it, but it wasn't, you know, it was like, I, I didn't come up with it, you know, no, you're just you going know I just it. added, yeah, I yeah. added a thing to it, but it was like, it was very much out of, um, you know, but I think that we saw these klezmer bands trying to figure out a way to play concertized klezmer music and like, yeah. And like in, in the post sort of like downtown New York, the post, you know, it's like the klezmatics own a certain way of playing this. That's not going to be. Yeah, that you can't just copy. You know, it's like they do like this kind of. I mean, their music has morphed a lot over the years, but like, and you know, it's like what they were doing in the in the in the the two thousands. You know, it's like the clear voice of theirs. You know, that's that's very much them. Yeah, and, they, and like and like and kind of like it got past the point where other bands were going to try doing it in that way. And I think people were trying to figure out how to present this music. And you had like these kind of like almost highbrow musician types like Josh Horowitz and Cookie Siegelstein and Joel Rubin and like these folks who were like at home in classical in classical music and in classical study and in classical presentation and they did this uh you know this stringing together making these kind of these long form medleys mm-hmm. you know and like and um and altering then tunes alter lot. altering tunes and then for me it just made sense with the whole minimalism thing to just add that into the mix sure um and it did and it gave and it, and, and and it kind of it tied some things together you know um mm-hmm. Uh, so, um, but, uh, but like another thing that's interesting though, I don't know if you remember when I got into close camp, I don't know what, you know, it seemed like there was a really specific set of tunes that you would hear at a dance set or in a bandstand. And then that turned into German Goldenstein tunes within the first three or four years of me being there. And then it's like, you wouldn't even play a jam without hearing that, you know, da, 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 da. Right. Or any of those, those things that he taught. They would just always be there. And that was there forever. And, And then that was, and then that kind of petered out well, it petered out at different speeds, though. It, no, totally, it didn't peter out. At you different know, speeds. I mean, I think that depends on the group of people. It was like I basically, I think that you know. I mean, we, we I yeah. think we as ourselves stopped doing that maybe earlier. Pretty soon, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, although I ended up, I was. I mean, I always, there's always, there's always that. these tunes. They, they, they come up, you know. But it's like, uh, yeah, look, the whole thing is trends. You know, it's, 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 it, you know, personal trends, and then over, you know, and then com, you know, community. Yeah, but I think it's just interesting. Like, I think there was a long time where, it, even for me, it felt like there was a community trend. And now I don't feel that, actually. Oh, that there's not an overriding one. Yeah. In terms of rep. I don't think, yeah. In terms, yeah, you're right. In terms of rep and in terms of sound, really. You're right. There was like, at, you know, at the time of the German thing, before, during, after, like, there was like a very European, Baragovsky, mm-hmm. Baragovsky heavy uh, repertoire interest from, from, from a lot of people. Um, you know, uh, and then there, you know, yeah, it's, yeah, it's funny. Yeah, there was tunes that when I first got involved in the klezmer world were being played at nauseam and no one touches them anymore. Wait, like what? Lebedik and Freyla. Right. Abe Schwartz or, or yum, bum, bum, ba, da, da, yum, ba. We play that. Well, no, no, I mean, there's tunes that I play now, you know, right. but like I, I avoided them for a decade. 
Right. You know, but um, I, and I feel like that stuff's coming around. Well, we're bringing that stuff around again. Uh, yeah, I mean, pretty deliberately. Yeah, yeah I mean, Do- you know, Dobrinoch plays that tune, which is kind of funny. Oh, cool. You know, and and uh, why? I mean, what brought them to do that? But you know, it was funny. I remember at some point, I think it was around 2013 or something at Clez Canada, we played a dance set for one of these carnival things. Mm-hmm. You know, and uh, and it was just like played like a bunch of Epstein Brothers tunes and like a bunch of Americana klezmer, and. I didn't think all that much of it, you know, like that was the, those are a lot of the tunes that I play, but a lot of people who were there, professional musicians who had just like really focused on the European stuff were kind of like, I remember people were saying like, oh, man, I never hear those tunes. It was amazing to hear that stuff, amazing right. to hear that style. I'm like, that style, that's klezmer clarinet to me, you know? Um, yeah. But it was, I mean, you know, and I, you know, it was... It was it was kind of funny, and also like I think since then, since 2013 to now, I've just gotten more and more in that direction personally. Sure. Where I've just you know be you know my in terms of repertoire, in terms of how I'm playing clarinet tone, you know, just I've been less and less into these long sort of you know form concertized mm-hmm. stuff, you know, and it's uh, I mean I I don't know why I mean. <laughs> It, it, but you know, in in some ways, it's like it's is it maybe it's the the struggle to find something original, and and well, you know, definitely. I mean, it definitely is that. And I know that I write my own tunes, so there's always going to be some version of it. But it was like, you know, it was like that whole trend with you know, like the Budowitz trend of you know, like these 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 medleys. I was like, that was a really cool. And I mean, you could look at Varetsky Pass as the ultimate in like a band that's constantly oh being God. original. I mean, every move, every choice they make is so theirs. Yeah, you know, and it's never, it's never, um, you know, uh, and they they don't let anything traditional go by without putting their own spin on it. Also, absolutely, and that's what's so great about them. They're amazing. They are. They are. They time and time again, they don't let. They don't. They never let me down Mm -hmm. as a band. Like and and the and they're so broad in their musical styles. Yeah, they never don't sound like themselves. And right. Yeah, and um, they're very exciting, and I think that they, you know, but there, there is there are decades of experience in there, like when by the time that they started that band, they were all such seasoned musicians, composers, and performers. That's true. And they had, and they're they're all so deep, in ways that many of us are not. You know, it's like <laughs> Josh's Josh's study of right. you know his his. I mean, he's so studied, and Stu, I mean, is just played. Original bass player, so much stuff, and Cookie is just kaleidoscope. Is just such a deep violinist and violist. Totally crazy, you know. I mean, we're really blessed. This is an incredible scene, and for whatever reason, the the revival period of this music just attracted this insanely talented group of people. Yeah, but maybe just like yeah, what do you see when you when you think about? I mean, the klezmer scene in New York and the klezmer scene in the world. And like, yeah. And just what, 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 what thoughts do I mean, we talk about, again, we talk about this all the time, but maybe it's a nice moment to just well, sort of summarize I think, it. I think, I don't know how to summarize it. For me, as I've grown into more of a professional musician over the years, you know, it's like when I moved to New York after college, I was a young guy. I was, I mean, I'm still young compared, you know, comparatively, but it's like, I was really young. You know, you come, yeah. when you start being a professional musician, 22 years old, you are young and you don't know anything and you learn you learn a lot over the years and whatever so it's been it's been 12 years since then and 
And as I think because of how the scene has gotten and because of the either amount or lack of popularity of the music and whatever and whatever, and the and certainly the 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 diminishing amount of gigs overseas, um, is that I think that the whatever the scenes are, they've become they've become much they've it's not that they become smaller, but I think that like that um you've kind of gotta develop you make sure you kinda gotta make sure that you're well yeah you know, what am I trying to say here? Uh it's like you gotta do a lot of work to maintain this thing around you and, and you kind of hold on to it a little closer and 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 yeah. and yeah, and it involves maybe a smaller group of people than it used to. And and I don't think that there's being I don't think things are being provided in the way that they once were, whether it's gigs, whether it's just community sustainability in terms of the music. Um, but yeah, I think, I, agree. I think, I think that you gotta, you gotta grab onto the things that you gotta grab onto. It seems. And if you don't, and if you don't, and if you don't put, you know, if you're not building gigs for yourself, they're not going to come. Well, there's that for sure. There's I that think for the sure. Thing that's interesting about the revival is I feel like if you and I quit Klezmer and like all of us quit Klezmer, there's enough out there to maintain something like, yeah. The Jewish music world is different. Yeah, yeah. And that's, I mean, there's, how it's different is, I mean, that's a whole other conversation. Mm-hmm. But, but you know, klezmer used to be this word that people didn't even know it existed. And now everybody knows it exists. What yeah, they true. think it is, is, that's you know, true. up for debate. And, and, and there's a lot to be said for that. And know? there's I a lot mean, to be that said. Mean, and that's that means a huge something. accomplishment. Absolutely. It's a, it's a huge accomplishment. But I think that they're, yeah. in order to keep it, you know, it doesn't have the vitality that it did even in the 80s or even in the 90s or even 10 years ago. And I think, but that's not, but it does, but it, it doesn't feel no, the it same. No, it doesn't. It doesn't. I mean, you know, I think that like economics play a big part of it. A huge part of a it. A huge part of it. And, and, and the truth is that like, so for example, recently I haven't been working to book gigs mm-hmm. and I have very few gigs. Right. You know, whatever. Like I'm, you know, one of the working klezmer clarinetists in town and I don't have many gigs coming up. Now I have other work that I'm doing. Sure. To be fair. I mean, like I work, I have other jobs that I work on, but you know, it's like, but I think that like you have to constantly do that kind of stuff. And maybe that's not different than it was 15 years ago, but I do think there was a time, you know, and I've I've seen, and I've even seen it. I didn't have to work to get gigs when I was 22. And and touring in Europe, you know, it's like, it's really just slowed down. Yeah, no, totally. It's slowed down. And like like two of my bandmates in the trio live in Europe and we're not, and we're not touring, you know, it's like, right. So it's, um, but that's the professional. So, okay. So that's the professional side of things. And that makes a lot of sense. But you mean just in terms of community? Well, I I actually think it's the same is that we have to, I mean, this is my own personal thing is like, you know, I've been buoyed by, or, you know, sustained by two weeks a year and three if I get a gig at another festival, right. you know, and then plus a couple other gigs. And I think like half of what I can do is because I had enough chances to do this throughout the year that I didn't forget. And so it just seems to me that that's, and all of that got us where we are, you know, yeah. that, that changed the, that changed the world. That changed, you know, put Klezmer in the minds of avant-garde musicians everywhere. I mean, that's the weirdest thing. Mm. And, and, uh, or, and then Jewish, Jewish people just know this word, you know, and it wasn't a well-known word, at least in the, when I grew up, you know, you never heard this music. I grew up in the seventies. When I grew up in the seventies, no, when I grew up, you know, even in the nineties, people wouldn't say that. That's true. So things, so, but, but I do think you're totally right in that if you're not making it happen, for the people around you, mm-hmm. 
and it's not and happening. There, and there, but you know what? There is a scene that doesn't have to be your your that that's not necessarily going to be your personal crowd. Right. That uh, that 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 is part of this community. But you have to make the physical things. But happen. you know what's interesting though is when you do do the work, there's room. There's you know, room. I think about like there's a lot of people who are playing a lot. Who are, you know, there's people like us who are professionals who are choosing to play a lot. And there's a lot of people who are not professionals or who don't do this in the same scene that we do who are playing a lot, whether it's in the New York area or otherwise. And and it's because they sit down and they say, I want something to happen. And they figure out how to do it. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. (laughs) Cool. Yeah, I guess. I think we did it. Okay, cool. Rocking. Yeah. Yeah. Good work. Good work. Awesome. Are you gonna have like music playing like very softly behind the whole thing? Oh, I would love to. I think you should do it. Yeah, we'll have, have to. Klezmer Plus. Can <laughs> for for two and for two hours <laughs> yeah, straight. Yeah, yeah. Put on loop. One tune. One tune. Yeah. Here we go. We'll try it right now. Yeah. It'd be All great. right. Signing off. Awesome. This has been Daniel Blacksburg. <laughs> Signing off. And Michael Winnegar. That's Michael Winograd, folks. Michael Winograd. Well, how'd we do for our first episode? I really enjoyed talking to him and getting to learn all those new things about him. Uh, yeah, that's what we've got for this week. We're going to be back with a new episode two weeks from today. So please subscribe to us in iTunes or wherever you find your podcasts. And uh, you can reach me through my website, through dan at danblacksburg.com through Facebook, through Twitter, I guess through Instagram. I don't know how many conversations people have on Instagram. Yeah, so send me your feedback, and I will talk to you all in a couple weeks. I hope that you all have a good weekend planned, and good Shabbos. Shabbos.